Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short run podcast dedicated to exploring every Midnight Oil album in the run up to their 2017 Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the coming months, I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil studio album, plus taking a listen to some of their EPs, live albums, and video releases. Joining me each episode is Twice Upon a Time Australian resident, frontman for the band Bedford Level Experiment, and longtime Midnight Oil aficionado, Robin Harbrin. How are you doing today, Mr. Harbrin? Uh, doing well, thank you. Yourself, Mr. Folds? I'm doing fine, Mr. Harbrin. How many green lights did you get on the way up here? I got all but one. That is a correct. That's yeah, oh yeah. It's not a numerical answer. No. No, but it is... Well, it is a numeric. It's an algebraic <sighs> answer. Very good. So, Robin, we've just been listening to the first Midnight Oil album, Midnight Oil, otherwise known as... The Blue Meanie. The Blue Meanie, the Blue Album. Can you give me some highlights on what we're going to be discussing in this episode? Yeah, we're going to talk about the history a bit, talk about the band formation a bit. Yep. Talk through the album as a whole, uh maybe highlight some of our favorite tracks mm -hmm. and uh, favorite bass and drum moments, uh, since you and I know a little bit more than average about those. About the bass and the drums. About the bass and the drums. Yep. Uh, and a bit of guitar, you know, yep. just focus on the different elements of the band. Sounds good. Well, I'm looking forward to getting started, so let's do that now. So, Robin, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the uh, early years of the Oils, uh, the formation of the band, why don't you start by telling us how the band formed and what were the events leading up to the recording of the Blue Meanie? Yes. So way back in about 1971 or so, uh, Jim Magini and Andrew James, Andrew Bear James, mm -hmm. uh, were high school buddies and into music. Uh kind of like music nerds, it sounded like. Mm -hmm. And uh, they started playing music together, talking, enjoying music together. Uh, met up with Rob Hurst, mm -hmm. a promising young drummer. And uh, I think Jim said something when they first heard him play, something like, uh, hey, this isn't just a guy with a drum kit. This is a drummer. Are you making that up? No, that's uh, an actual quote. I oh, really? This. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's when they, they were pretty impressed by him. So it went from the two of them to the three of them, uh, Rob, Jim, and Andrew. And uh, then they, they formed a band called Schwampy Moose. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were playing Beatles songs. Yep. But they were also getting into some prog rock and yeah. uh, Yes, apparently. Yeah, and Put I out. think that maybe as we dive into the album, I think we might hear some of those influences in that one or two of those songs uh, at least one or two yeah yeah and uh from there they put out a call for a lead singer mm -hmm. um they were i guess they had grown quite a bit as a band we're yep. starting to get some gigs and they had this tour plan yeah and they were they were like university kids at this point or maybe just out of university yeah then they were into university yep. uh they put out a, a call uh for a lead singer because they wanted to this do this tour of the south coast or south of sydney mm -hmm. and uh peter garrett showed up yep. uh answering the call the Apparently, old the old man the old man he was a couple years older than them yep. uh well into his university studies so the band's touring in so the, back to the, band, the yeah, southeast coast that's of right australia they, they and uh they took peter garrett he was uh such a presence mm -hmm. he was 
just this huge uh, guy with a lot of personality, a lot of charisma. And they did this one short tour with him. Uh, and then for the next year, uh, they kept looking for another lead singer because uh, Garrett had to go back to school okay. for the next uh, school year. Yep. Uh, but they couldn't find anybody who could compare sure. with Peter Garrett. Oh, so yeah. then the ne- next year, they again did a little tour with him. Uh, and then uh, he was looking to graduate. And uh, Peter Garrett also uh, had just lost his dad a couple years earlier. And then he lost his uh, his mother and mm. his house, all his belongings oh, in wow. a house fire. Oh, wow. Uh, and he actually thought he lost both of his brothers as well, hmm. but it turns out they weren't actually home, uh, that night. So, uh, but as it turns out, uh, he was in law school Yep. and, uh, yeah, as, as it turned out, he was able to just commit himself full time to the band. So that's when the band really started coming together. Um, they were farm. So they've got, by then they've got lead singer. Yeah. Furious drummer guitar player bass player that's right what's missing the other guitar player okay yeah and martin joins the band apparently there were a couple other members uh in the band oh, yeah. through this time as well so try uh there were three candidates for the first midnight oil gig and one was the oh. first time they announced themselves as calling uh, as being called midnight oil okay because previous to this they were swampy moose as you mentioned and yeah the farm and then they were farm for uh fair while yep uh, then apparently when they, they were going to call themselves Midnight Oil, it was actually between four different names. They put them in a hat. Television. Yeah. Television. Southern Cross, Sparta. Yes. And Midnight Oil. That's right. And, uh, the guy who contributed Mid- Midnight Oil was actually the fellow who got kicked out of the band. Oh, really? Shortly after. Poor That's guy. Funny. Yeah. It's like. Now, as yeah. I recall the story being told. Yeah. Is they all put their names in the hat. Peter reaches into the hat, pulls out television, says, nope, there's already a band name television. Reaches in, pulls out something else, says, nope, that's a crap name. <laughs> reaches in again, pulls out Midnight Oil and says, yeah. okay, this'll do. Yeah, this'll do. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, massaging. Uh, yeah. Not not quite. Not as, demo- it, not as democratic as you might no, expect. No, and, and not leaving it to chance as much. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, uh, there was this other guy, uh, sorry, if you're listening, you other sad guy. old man. Um, <laughs> you're in, you're in good company. Yeah. The, the rest of us didn't get to be in the band either. You were closer than all the rest of us. Well, you know um, what? I think we should talk about, uh, that Midnight Oil started building their following by playing the, these, this series of pubs, uh, which I think aren't really like a lot of the pubs we have here. They're, mm. They're like roadhouses, right? Yeah, they're like yeah. more like roadhouses. Large, uh, yeah, large buildings where you could fit hundreds of people in. As they became more and more popular, uh, many more hundreds than should be in there mm-hmm. would fit in. Yeah. And they talked about some uh, really wild gigs where there were people, there were, you know, 600, 900 people in a building for 300, yeah. all drinking, yep. all sweaty extremely hot australian summers and i thought you were just gonna say extremely hot australians uh, <laughs> maybe some of them were but uh, probably not most of these guys no and yeah. then just um, sweaty australians yeah and so much so that the building would get its own atmosphere almost that 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 was so humid that 
Uh, sweat was gathering on the ceiling and the walls and dripping off. Oxygen was in short supply. And Peter Garrett, stories of Garrett and Hearst, but Garrett especially, falling to the ground. Because well, he's so high up there. Yeah, he's where so the up there. There's no, so there's no air. Thin. And putting his absolute all into the gig that he would collapse at the end of yep. the song. And they would actually have oxygen tanks and masks wow. for him. This this was the intensity. Uh, there's this idea that uh, whenever you saw a Midnight Oil gig, you always thought that must have been their best gig ever because they always were. They just played till they dropped. They were giving it their all every time. So Midnight Oil, the blue album, is is their first album recorded in 78? I think. Yeah, it was in, their first album recorded in 78. And it was their first album recorded, and it was recorded in 78. Yes. And the idea was, you know, they wanted to capture the the freneticness, the the power, the energy behind these live shows. Yeah. And so we get this album, Midnight Oil, and some of the critics are saying, eh, you know, it's a good album, but it really doesn't capture the live experience. We've got the album trying to capture the the energy of these roadhouse shows. What do you think about the energy levels of the album, Robin? Well, I think the album's played really well. The recording quality seat does just feel a little thin. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as as big yeah. as as they could feel like as as <laughs> as the band would have felt live sure. or sounded live. Yeah, and I think I noticed that too while I was listening listening through. And for anybody who, who cares to know, um, the way that we're tackling Midnight Oil in this podcast series is we're doing things chronologically, and we're basically spending a week or so, maybe two weeks with the album, just kind of really listening to it intensely, um, somewhat more critically than we would have when we were younger folks, and um, then just come to talk about it. So yeah, I, as I'm walking around listening in, in headphones, 
Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, this this isn't a full sounding album. Yeah. But they're they're playing with very high energy levels. The yep. songs are oh, are fast paced, uh, skillfully played. Yep, uh, everybody's really on. Um, uh, they they've said that they were the best prepared for this album of any mm. they've done because they've been playing these songs lots live. Sure. They knew them backwards and forwards. They went in. Yep, uh, studio was cheap at night, so they would go in, they play a gig, and then they go to oh, the yeah. studio like after midnight. Yeah, uh, and just because it was cheaper. Okay. And uh, apparently it was about five nights yep. of, they got all their tracks recorded. It's uh, a very short recording time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that they were just doing a song or two every night yep. and that was it. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, these are songs that they are well practiced. Obviously they would have had a much larger pool of songs to draw upon than these seven songs. Do you think that, that the songs were chosen to fit a particular mood or a theme for the album? Do you think that the album kind of holds together along certain lines? It would be pure speculation. Yeah. I, I, I do think... And and I, I'll put this out here. I haven't, aside from a little bit of the history that I've read, I really don't know much about what the band themselves think about this album or what their intentions were. So all of my, all of my contributions towards this are going to be, okay, I'm listening to it, trying to, trying to get into their headspace, trying to figure out what they were thinking while they're doing it. So I'm totally going to be speculating on stuff too. Yeah. I, I don't know that they had a lot of other original songs when they went and recorded Mm. this, uh, this, they probably had a few others, but they, they focused in on these, uh, seven. Yep. Um, but you know, they, they were well prepared. I, I think one interesting thing to note is how, uh, they were, they were listening to the Beatles and then they were mm-hmm. listening to yes. And a, a lot of prog rock. Yep. And, uh, I think the whole band was really into that, that sort of stuff. Uh, but then that wasn't, that kind of sound wasn't really cutting it in the live environment. So they were starting to progress a bit more towards, you could call it pub rock. Yep. Uh, it had a kind of a punk mm-hmm. influence to it. Well, yeah. And, and some folk like you, you read in, in various places, okay, this is a punk rock album. This is a surf rock album. This is a surf punk album. What do you think of those designations? Yeah, I, I guess you could, you could call it that. Uh, to me, it's, it's like, um, maybe I call it post punk. I yep. don't know. It's, it's like a cross between it's, it's a bit punk in its attitude, mm-hmm. but skill level wise, these, totally. these guys are really good already. Yeah. Uh, and these arrangements are super complicated. These, some of these have three, four different, it's not like a, a three chord punk song, yeah. uh, or even a two chord <laughs> punk song. These are songs with lots of key changes, with yep. time signature changes, with multiple parts, uh, coming and going when you listen to the album you think how many songs it's it's only seven songs seven tracks mm-hmm. but you might think it sounds like there's 11 oh, yeah. 12 15 yeah. how many songs did i hear there yeah for sure so many different parts well we we can we can pick apart a couple of those right now too um we were talking just before we started recording about the uh the fugue solo in surfing with a spoon like you get a, have a song like surfing with a spoon yeah. and it it feels like you're getting three four songs out yeah. of out of one track yeah because they come in they they've got like this it's got this long intro big arpeggio type intro with stuff then they get into the meat of the song and then they break with the organ breakdown. yeah it goes into a long guitar solo and then this fantastic organ breakdown yep. 
Uh, I was talking with my daughter about it, calling it jokingly, calling it a fugue. Yeah. And that bothered. She went, "No, that's not a fugue. You have to do all these things." But to me, it was just like uh, Captain Nemo there in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the yeah. Sea, playing as crazy. He is playing a fugue there uh, on this on the organ, and that that's what it reminds me of. Uh, it's a great moment in that song, and then another guitar solo starts yeah. up again. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you find the songs flowing from one to another throughout the album? Do you think that there's a cohesion there? Do you think, uh, like, how, how do you find the pacing of the album? Yeah, the, the album, maybe part of the criticism was that there are quite a few slow parts uh, and there's some very moody parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beginning of, um, uh, like, Nothing Lost, Nothing Gained, uh, the final track on the song, which, mm-hmm. uh, which actually is the longest Midnight Oil song ever recorded, as yep. far as I can tell. Well, eight and a half minutes. Eight and a half minutes yep. long. And uh, nothing, Screaming Blue is the next longest at only six minutes and mm-hmm. 20 seconds. Uh, that starts off extremely quiet and moody, just uh, these tom fills and mm-hmm. quiet oh, yeah. bass. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to it while driving, you can hardly hear that part. You yeah. have to crank it way up, and then the, the lead guitar starts up. I'm going to save my comments Oh, nothing lost, nothing gained okay. for later on. Okay, we're going to save that for but later. Yeah. Yeah. I guess some general observations about the album. Yeah. Um, yeah, Peter Garrett's voice, I guess, was criticized somewhat on this for sounding thin. I I find it hard to think of that, but I can't um, listen to him without uh, imagine just, you know, realizing that he's this towering, frightening-looking guy. Yeah. And so I can't... Uh, it's it's hard for me to separate that visual mm-hmm. from what I'm hearing. Yep. Uh, if I didn't know what he looked like and I heard this album, I wonder how it would come across. Maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> for sure. Okay, so I've listened to this album almost exclusively um, as far as my music goes. I've had to hear other things in the process of the three weeks for almost three weeks. So yeah. like when I'm listening to music, I've been listening to the Blue Album for three weeks and I haven't got tired of it. Um, thinking okay what are my my favorite midnight oil albums coming into this i don't know that i would have put this up on the favorites but i'm i'm actually surprised coming out of out of three weeks of listening to this almost exclusively that there's i can't think of a single time where i've wanted to skip to the next song or something like that it's been a lot of fun listening to the album as a whole front front to end the the whole way through Um, so I would say, you know, I really enjoy this album. I think that, I think that they pace it really well. Um, you know, comes in super strong with powder works like that is, you couldn't pick another song on the album to start the opening riff. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and they don't drop right out away. You, You get a nice, um, riffy jazz kind of almost sounding thing through head over heels and into dust where we're getting some of that, those prog rock influences i think like yeah. with the with the, the the bass and melodic kind of breakdowns at the end of the courses yeah lots of fun picking it back up again for used and abused at the end of the first side flipping it over bringing it down but you've got almost like this this swinging intro to surfing with a spoon turns into this boppy poppy tune that uh that splits musically into uh, more, again, I think I've used the term before, frenetic kind of thing at the end, picks up again for Run By Night, and then finishes 
uh, I think brilliantly with this really musically emotional nothing lost nothing gained I think the album as a whole like it takes you through the up and downs really nicely and it yeah. holds together really well yeah yeah no I, I agree I I personally really like albums that have these uh, changes these peaks and valleys uh, for mood um, yeah. uh, REM did that very well on uh, out of time and mm-hmm. on Mac for the people those mm-hmm. are two of my favorite uh, albums for listening to when I'm programming uh, I program for a living uh computer programming and uh love hearing those those ups and downs uh are great for the creative process it's a great uh great way to listen um one funny thing about this album is that it's totally full of guitar solos yeah in a way that uh no other midnight oil album is this this album has more guitar solos than songs yeah uh every song except head over heels has a guitar solo and some of them have two and three sure. guitar solos. So we're at like nine guitar solos for a seven song album. Mm-hmm. Um, and that almost entirely goes away in later midnight oil albums. Yeah. You, you don't think of them as a, a rip roaring laying down the, the hot licks kind of there, band. Yeah. There are almost no guitar solos in the rest of, I, I guess we'll, we'll have to point them out as they happen in later mm. albums. But it goes from every song having a guitar solo to almost none. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly have hmm. guitars are extremely dominant. Oh yeah, uh, but but they become much more what we would call riff rather yeah. than a solo. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, it's also right from the beginning. Uh, for a little while, their Midnight Oil seemed almost too keyboard based when I'd listened to their. Some of their albums. Okay, um, and so you're thinking like coming in with Diesel and Dust and then going back yeah, a little Yeah, going ways? backwards and like going to 1098 and Red Sails and Red stuff Sales, like that. Yeah. Yep. yeah, thinking there's just too much electronics on yeah. here, too much, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to note that even right in their, right at the beginning. their, their debut album, yeah. Jim Magini's uh, always been a keyboard player as well as an excellent guitar player. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Martin Rotzi would be holding down the rhythm guitar section mm-hmm. or even the these uh, riff breaks mm-hmm. uh, while Jim would play keyboards. And uh, at a few points in their career, they would actually have, uh, when they would tour, they would bring a keyboard player along yeah. uh, so that, because Jim had so many guitar parts to play also yep. on it. But in general, Jim would be there, he plays guitar, and uh, sling it over his shoulder, play gu- keyboard for a while, and be yep. back on guitar, back yeah. and forth, yeah. Very neat. So, Darren, did, did you think that there is a, a theme, a cohesive theme well, to this album? I, I tried to, to figure out if there was something there, and and I think I did come up with something, I, and as we were talking about earlier, total speculation, I, I dealt this, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is what they intended or not. But maybe this is just where they're at. You know, as you get further along, like 1098, yeah, nuclear disarmament, uh, diesel and dust, uh, blue sky mine, the environment. Yeah. So what, what do I think is going on in this album? After listening to them, I think you've got a lot of angry songs and a lot of relationship. Well, not a lot. You've got a couple relationship type songs where the relationship just isn't quite working out the way you're thinking that it's going to, going to work out. And so I'm thinking 
we got some angry boys just facing almost the futility of life. Now, you stop me if I'm getting too deep and making up too much stuff uh, here. I, I can go with this. But, you know, you start out with something like Powderworks, and I'm thinking, okay, what? this is one of those I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore songs. But, but it doesn't seem like it's directed at anything in particular. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's kind of, it directs, it just kind of starts you in the album and you can just kind of see these things that are frustrating me in my life all the way through. So you have Head Over Heels, which is, it's, it sounds like a love song, but you know, you get your first verse, it's like, I'm in love with you. And, and it, I think it's hopefully we're in love with each other. But by the time you get to the second verse, the doubt's already there. Maybe you don't love me as much as, as I love you. And then by the third verse, it's, man, I've been betrayed in this relationship. Then you get Dust, which is, you know, just taking a look at, at um, hanging out in this train station at night and seeing, you know, nasty stuff that happens at night in a train station, then contrasting it with, you know, all the working stiffs going through the train station in the morning and saying, yeah, there's nasty stuff going on at night, but who wants to be like this working stiff, these gray suits that, you know, they're sheep, they're lemmings just walking through, you know, there's, I think that you can see some frustration in having to choose, having to grow up maybe even. Yeah. And then you get used and abused. Hey, I'm being used and abused. I'm angry because, hey, you're abusing me. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, maybe the most political of sure of this set of songs uh i was taken downtown for my part in the demonstration yeah um so that yeah that's a but then in the second verse you have okay i'm i'm going back home to my family and friends but the second verse isn't that kind of like okay i'm i'm trying to live the normal life and that's not satisfying me either and then you get going to surfing with a spoon which is i think another relationship song you know but from in this song it's more like well we've got this relationship, but I like hanging out with my mates and hitting the waves and stuff like that. And by the third verse, when you're coming, it's like, okay, I'm back in town and you're still around. And so that just makes things awkward. I just want to go surfing or whatever. Yeah. Now surfing with a spoon. Yeah. Maybe we can take a second here. Sure. What's surfing with a spoon about? Do you think that's what it's about? Well, yeah. uh, There, there's quite a few people who think it is a song about drug use. Yeah. uh, That it was a, a euphemism. Yep. Um, heroin yeah for for heroin and uh so that that's quite possible because it's like uh i can't get out on my surfing trip mm-hmm. i have to work i have to do this yep. i have to stay here in town doing the nine to five i have to be yeah i have to be with you uh but i can i can do i can at least do some drugs yeah 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 for sure <laughs> so there that may or may not be true yeah yeah and you know the thing is when when you're thinking about these songs or when i'm thinking about the thong the songs when i'm thinking about (laughs) i'm thinking about when i think about thongs (laughs) on the beach when i'm thinking about these songs you know i have to keep in mind that not everything is autobiographical Mm -hmm. you know so there's nothing to stop these guys from you know i don't think that they were big druggies but no. that doesn't stop them from writing songs from the point of view of a, a heroin addict, perhaps, or somebody who's having a rough time with life and seeking escape through drugs. Yeah. Right? Anyway, to keep on going with my my cohesive album type thing, and this is one of the reasons that I like Nothing Lost, Nothing Gained at the end, that almost seems like the answer to all these frustrations that you're getting all the way through the album. Mm-hmm. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that later in the podcast. All right. 
Um, but I do think that the, that you, if you want to try to find some sort of theme for the album, I think that you can try to find just the frustrations of life and being a young man, becoming an adult and, and looking for, you know, a solution just to the, sometimes even just the futility of life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I Hopefully can, that's not too deep. I can agree with that. Let's take a quick break and then we can come back and talk about some of our favorite songs and some bass bits and some drum bits. Right on. All right, we are back with, I was going to call it Surfing with a Spoon, the Midnight Oil <laughs> podcast, but with Comfortable Place on the Couch, Midnight Oil podcast. My name's Darren Folds, and I've got my buddy Robin Harbin here with me. We're talking about uh, Midnight Oil's first album, Midnight Oil, the blue album, the blue meanie. Yes. And before we talk about um, some tracks in particular, our favorite tracks on the album, let's take some time to talk a little bit about the drums and the bass. Do you have any favorite bass bits? Yeah, uh, Andrew Bear James uh, record was uh, was the bassist for Midnight Oil for uh, the first two albums, and uh, the only uh, role that changed in Midnight Oil, like the the personnel the have, years, have, yeah, has yeah, sure. has stayed very steady, but they've had three bassists <gasps> who lasted roughly seven years, seven years, and fifteen years yeah. or so over the long career. Uh, Andrew James, of course, was in the band well before it became Midnight Oil. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't seem like Andrew James was was around for seven yeah, years. Yeah, he was only there Peter for Gifford two years out. of actual Midnight Oil. But he was around for before Midnight Oil. All the Oil, years, two yeah. years. Okay, gotcha. That, that's right. So yep. that's, yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, and and he, he's quite a good player. He's uh, quite inventive, melodic. He's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Got a lot of nice little bits on even on this album. In used and abused, twice he has this ascending bass fill that climbs up, sure. up, up, and uh, does some neat little turnarounds and comes back down again. That'd be my favorite fill, yep. meaning uh, a yep. short little diversion where the bass becomes the focus yes. for a moment yep. while we turn something around musically. Yep. Uh, and as an overall bass line, probably Dust uh, yeah. has this very kind of, I don't know, slinky kind of bass line uh, that keeps moving around and it really runs this song. That, yeah. that song is built around that bass line. Everyone's nowhere now, there's too much Not there, take me away Yeah, Yeah. okay, so that's cool. And Dust has this really cool prog rock, jazzy, turnaround, bass kind of thing happening too that I just love. Yes. Now, I don't get to pick a favorite bass bit, but I like that bit the best. And and everyone's playing along with that bit. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's part of... Dust has all kinds of good bass bits in it. 
and uh, dust is dust is the only song that's not played in straight time too, right? It's it's the only song that's not four four all the way through, uh, like a waltz type beat, like a six eight kind of thing or a three four. One two three, one two, two three, three, one yeah. two three. Except for like these turnarounds too, and then you just I didn't I didn't stop to think of what it was. I don't need to know. I'm not one of those drummers that needs to know what key signature we're playing in. I just feel the beat yeah. and play it. We talked about the bass bits. Yeah. How about the drum bits? You know what? I think I, I had a hard time th- finding, you know, like the drum bit of the album that really makes me excited. Uh, there, there are some pretty cool drum bits happening throughout. Can we talk about Run By Night? Yeah. As far as favorite drum bits go? Sure. Or perhaps as far as not favorite drum bits go? Yes. Far be it from me to criticize the great Rob Hurst. Yes. I don't understand how the miskicks. Yeah. I can I can totally understand how they can happen. I couldn't I don't think I could play Run by Night the way if I was to come up with a drum line for Run by Night, it wouldn't be what Rob is doing. Yeah. Rob's got this really straight fast stuff going up with the hands on the hats yeah. and the snare. But his kick is doing something that I totally wouldn't do. I don't know if... Give a listen. You will hear miss kicks throughout the song. I don't understand how something like that makes it onto the record. Yeah. Or how it makes it into the single yeah. that comes out and of the that's record. That's what they decided, yeah. I don't know. Did people just not, were they not hearing it? At I don't time? know. They had it's lousy strange. monitor speakers and nobody could hear what the kick was doing? Or Okay, before I tell you what my favorite drum bit is, yeah. do you think that Run By Night deserved to be the single for this album? And I know that Midnight All isn't, like, they were never going to be one of these bands that, that wants to to write the single, to get the single out, to get the hits, even though that, that happens yeah. in their career. I don't think, they were never, like, we're hit-driven, chart-driven band. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have put Used and Abused out as a single. More likely Powder Works or... Um, you could do Powder Works if you didn't have to worry about the lyrics. Yes. Yeah, maybe that was a problem. Maybe that was then. a problem. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I never understood. We'll talk about Garrett's lyrics yeah. at some point. No, not his lyrics, his singing his of other people's delivery, lyrics. His lyric delivery. I had no idea what he was singing yeah. for many years. I don't know if the cassette didn't have the lyrics in it or what. I never read the lyrics. I didn't understand. Yeah. It was never a problem for my young... Um, innocent ears to hear that at poop the time. word they, to hear the poop word exactly for me when i hear it the song starts with and with a shot stars were coming, coming. famous misheard lyrics that's fine and then later on desert ship storm a coming yeah oh a desert ship Cool. Yeah. I don't know what that must be an Australian thing. Yeah, desert ships. It's yeah. kind of like a Mad Max kind of thing. Yeah, you, you, Powder Works makes sense to me for a single except for the lyrical content. Yeah. Um yeah, what else would you take? 
maybe maybe dust maybe that's just not no, as accessible too, too slow too used and abused yeah used and abused or surfing with a spoon yeah surfing with a spoon's getting a little long yeah it a is. little bit too yeah so, I, yeah, so maybe probably. they just didn't have a lot of choice yeah okay my favorite drum bits I think when it comes down to it, I, I don't know of my favorite drum bit for a song, but if I got to drum a song, I would want to drum along with Dust. Yeah. It's a fun song to play. Um, there's the time changes. Um, there's, there actually is a lot of uh, rolling all the way through the toms. Yeah, there's lots of fun things to do, even though they're not, you know, huge, great drum moments. There's no monster fill type things, but I think yeah. that would be my fun song, song to drum along to. Yeah, well, doesn't Powderworks open with a great drum fill where there's this, you know, you got your guitar yeah. riff. Oh, yeah, and yeah, 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 right after, yeah. But it's just that kind of stuff, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's fun stuff to do, for sure. But yeah. I think, for me, it'd yeah. be more fun to play Dust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be more fun to me, for me to play bass on Dust as yeah. well. So, Dust yeah. is a really good song. Yeah. So let's talk about our favorite songs on the album. Is is Dust your favorite song on well, the album? Dust would be, but because I chose it for bass, I, I have to go with Surfing with a Spoon mm. for it. Uh, we had already talked about that... Um, just yeah, it it also has a great bass uh, bass riff. It's got uh, this long intro. It's got lots of good parts to it. Yep. I like how it's. I mean, there's two epics. So this is, I guess, arguably the second most epic song on the album as far as length goes. Sure. It comes in at about five and a half minutes. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that's about right. And uh, I actually find nothing lost, nothing gained. I like how epic it is, but mm-hmm. it's it almost outstays its welcome for me mm-hmm. because of the... I disagree, yeah, I but we'll yeah, get that, on to this that's, later. That's totally fine. Uh, but that's why I go uh, with Surfing with a Spoon instead. Uh, and I just love that organ breakdown. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. Between the two guitar solos. Yep. And as the song progresses, there's kind of this guitar chop that comes in, and every time it seems to get a little bit more aggressive. And then as you're coming in to the, like the third time through through the song, it's just like I don't know if they've got like what kind of pedals you use to make these sounds, but yeah. it's got like this really aggressive. <laughs> um, what about like the harmonics, the harmonic solo kind of thing happening? Yeah, bing, bing, bing. There, did I do it? Here, listen to this instead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that that solo is is a bunch of harmonics. That's uh, a different way of playing guitar. Yeah. I remember when I was first learning guitar 
And uh, if instead of normally you push the string down to the fret, yep. you and, fret then you, note, and then you, you fret, fret the note, you push it, the string all the way down, and then you pluck the string or with your, yep. uh, instead you just place your finger lightly on the string mm-hmm. and uh, don't push it down, but then pluck it. And it's almost like it creates two notes, right? That's right. And You're the getting... two notes kind of work together in harmony. Yeah. Normally you got your st- normal string vibration. Yep. And what it does is allows the whole string to vibrate and you set up a false node Ooh. on uh, like an unnatural node that basically the string vibrates in a different way than it normally would yep. uh, when you're doing these harmonics. So Jim plays this this. Basically, he's playing a solo using harmonics. Do we know Is it's it Jim? Do we know we it's Jim? We don't know. Jim. It could I be guess. Martin. Martin. Jim, get in touch with us. Tell us who did it. On later albums, you could sometimes tell who was playing what part because they uh, would tend to have one speaker. Like, uh, sure. I believe like Martin. They, they would they would use stereo to separate. Yeah, they would. The two that's guitars. right. One guitar would be more on left now. Martin is usually on stage right, like left yep. when you're in the audience, so on the yep. left. Uh, I guess we really should look this up. When, if, mm. when you're facing the stage, yeah. Martin's usually on the left. Okay. Except if you're watching videos of them playing, looking at the stage. I was just watching Used and Abused this afternoon, and Jim was on the left in his little toque with his bad mustache. Yeah. And Martin was on the right. Okay, yeah. Well, in... It, it may be something that they arrived at later. No, yeah. we're going to have to do a bit more research on this. Okay, we'll get back and to And this you. may be something that changes as the band. And you know what? It'll be fun to talk uh, later on about the dynamics between the two guitar players. Absolutely, well. yeah. yeah. And which is already happening even on this first oh, yeah. album. There's lots Without of a doubt. It, guitar interplay. Yep. And, and, and I'd also want to note that even on this album... Uh, they're very willing to do some sparse guitar moments mm-hmm. where the bass and drums are driving the song along. Yep. And then the guitars are just doing little parts here and there. Yep. And uh, a lot of people who grab a guitar feel they have to play all the time. Yeah. Well, every, every instrument is guilty of this. Not me. Uh, you don't. You're not guilty of nope. this. Good for you. Thank you. I was, I was sure that you were going to point your finger at me and say, come on. Tone down there, drummer boy. <laughs> but uh, showing that kind of restraint even early on mm-hmm. uh, is great. Where, it, yeah, and especially when you've got a band that is playing these really loud, raucous songs that are in your face, taking that step back, yeah, to let your other bandmates shine through in in their places. That's right, and, and showing a maturity. And in, if you're always playing full tilt, then yeah. where can you go? Eleven. If you're already playing 11. Oh, well, I don't know. I've never seen an app that goes to 12. That's the thing. That's the thing. So if you're always playing at 11, then you, you, there's no extra push off the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why if you can, using those dynamics, toning it down and then pushing again. Uh, and they were doing that so well even on this early album. Thank you, Robin, for that rock band lesson. Kids, if you want to know how to be a good rock band, tweet Robin at Robin Harbin on the tweeter tweet them i really like surfing with a spoon as well um it was i think it was kind of like my number three for the album all right yeah um i too really like dust but as i've alluded to before uh nothing lost nothing gained for me is is the song on the album and it's kind of funny because it's the longest one and when when i the first listen through i was thinking um even with powder works man you could just chop off that last verse and chorus. You're playing too long already, boys. You know, that's only like a 
five and a half minute song. Then we get down to this eight and a half minute epic, but it's, it's great. And I think part of it is because I've, I set up in my mind this theme for the album, this big question for the album. And, and this is the satisfying answer mm-hmm. to, to that question, but also it's, it's just fun to listen to musically. And, and maybe before I get to that, just a little bit of a thought about the album as a whole. It's hard to understand Peter a lot of the time. Yeah. So this album and is it just me or does it, does he seem to learn to enunciate a little bit better as the albums go along? That's probably true. there's, There's always like some misheard lyrics. Yes. But this album to me is like, if I didn't have the lyrics in front of me, I probably wouldn't know what you're talking about most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So it's got to stand on its own musically. Yes. As yeah, more where so he, than... his voice is more another instrument yeah, than totally. a coherent. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not sure that sounded like Peter Garrett at all, but well, that was Rob Hurst. Oh. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I want to say for Nothing Lost, Nothing Gained. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that some more. You, uh, you tell me why I like Nothing Lost, Nothing Gained the most. It is, I think, the first song uh, credited Sorry, only. Sorry, it's the last song. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's the first song that's credited to just one member of only the band. Only to Jim. Yeah. Magini. It's kind of his, uh, his composition. And Jim, uh, I don't think I realized this until later in their career that uh, Jim is really the musical genius Mm -hmm. of the band. Um, Now everybody makes contributions and everybody's a skilled musician, uh, but he's the one who really composes, who really has ideas about arrangements and songs and yeah, uh, more than the other. Everybody contributes, Rob Hurst contributes melodies Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's a bit of a lyricist as well, right? Oh yeah. And certainly yeah. he is. And, and it's kind of like Jim and Rob are the primary songwriting core. Yeah. And then Peter Garrett is kind of like number three. Hey guys, I've got this issue. <laughs> I think I can squeeze some <laughs> lyrics in here. Okay, Peter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Put that in. Uh, yeah. And, uh, as Peter Garrett, I think proved on his solo album that just came out last year, Mm -hmm. which you haven't heard yet, have you? I haven't. Special episode. Yes. Uh, It really is quite good. Yeah. And apparently he wrote it more or less on his own, Mm -hmm. uh, lyrics and even music. Right on. And and Peter is an okay uh, guitarist and keyboardist. Yep. Apparently in Farm, he was actually their keyboardist for a while. Oh, well, there you go. I don't know if any recordings of that exist. (laughs) Yeah. So. Kind of getting a little bit off track. Yes, we are. Robin talking about. Peter Garrett, well, I want to be talking about my favorite song on yeah, the album. I'm sorry, let's go back That's to okay. that. That's um, okay. But you you actually mentioned when we were talking earlier about the beginning of Nothing Lost, Nothing Gamed, and you know how there's like these kind of Tom, like it, it starts out this really atmospheric yeah. type thing. You got this, like this almost thunder rumbling in the background with the toms. With the toms and these slow chords, these quiet yeah. chords, yep. two, just pairs of chords. Yep, yep. coming in.
and then you get the guitar coming in and I was trying to think of you know a non-cheesy way to describe it but I haven't found one so I'm gonna say you know he's got like this wounded crying animal type mm-hmm. sound but it's amazing stuff and it's very I like the whole song to me is very musically musically yeah. emotional yes and the guitar has a whole lot to do with that I think so much fun you've got this wandering bass i was wondering if you were going to talk about the wandering bass kind of thing that goes along in this song as well um yeah this is almost like a uh free-form jazz odyssey to <laughs> sort of. a bit more spinal tap yeah, into this exactly uh but but yeah it, it's a it's a blues song okay Those, i i haven't i haven't listened to to hear that so tell me why well i i guess that to me just those wailing guitars yeah. okay. that come in with the big bends yeah oh yeah totally uh that to me is just uh blues that's eric clapton yep. that's um that that kind of uh this is a song that when if if your hands aren't on the steering wheel when you're listening because you're not driving, not because you're driving oh, hands free. Right. You yeah. know, I, I walk and listen to music. It's hard for me not to like, to pluck the string and do like the you're, big you're air guitaring. Oh, I'm air guitaring the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then the song builds and builds and builds through the end and then kind of just leaves you, drops off, and yeah. leaves you feeling comforted. And the lyrics, of course, answering the question. I think I think that the the lyrics are saying, you know what? You've got one life. Give it a go. Try something different. Step out. Do something. If this thing is bugging you, you know, turn up the radio, ignore the dog barking outside the window, and just jump on your train, one-way ticket. Just go do something, man. (laughs) Make something of it. So I really like the song a lot. Yeah. It is a good song. So, final thoughts on the Blue Album, Robin. Yeah, I, I didn't say anything bad at all about this album yet. Um, but but not, now you're going to hear it. But but now I'll Let say Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, but these are just things where the band improved uh, on future albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one big thing is that the album as a whole has a very samey kind of feel from track to track. Yeah. That... Uh, that the instruments used uh, are the same. There isn't a lot of variety in guitar tone or organ tone. Um, yeah. And I can I can see how that can can become monotonous. And at the same time, though, you know, it can it can if you've got it right, it can it can make for an album that that sounds like that you can experience as an entire album too. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's not, not to, all it's not all bad. Uh, it's just on later albums, uh, they made, a, they did a great job of each song really feeling like its own personality. Yeah. Now these songs definitely are un- each oh, yeah. individual, yeah, unique. but it's all done in the music rather than in the, in the sounds. Yeah. It's hard, I know, hard I know to what describe. you mean. Yeah. yeah. And another thing really missing from this album, uh, is there's almost no harmony 
mm-hmm. vocal harmonies yep. on the album. Uh, Peter Garrett singing uh, by himself. I th- oh, I, I wanted to mention there's this one, I think it's in Head Over Heels, mm-hmm. uh, and he's singing the chorus, Head Over Heels, and, love. and then I think he doubles himself, and there's this great harmony note, and that stands out because it's one of the very few moments in the whole album where there's uh, uh, definitely a vocal harmony. Let's take a listen. Yeah. So that really stands out. But, you know, Rob Hurst, uh, later, sure. yeah. on later songs, he's singing away. Yep. Uh, in in later albums, he, he leads. On yeah, he even of, has he lead vocal lead on, a couple yeah. times. That's right. And uh, certainly once Bones uh, Hillman came in on bass, starting with uh, Blue Sky Mining, mm-hmm. uh, he's singing on lots of songs. Yep. But, and Peter Gifford sings along but, too, But right? Gifford yep. to- totally sings, uh, and uh, Jim Magini sings yeah. uh, on a lot of songs. And he's, but just not now. But We've got to wait but, for Yeah, that. they just aren't, there isn't a lot. There's a few moments, but they're mixed in very quietly when they're there at all. Or maybe they weren't even... On a mic, maybe they're picked up with room mics sure. or whatever. Yeah, sure. I I never felt I was wondering going into this if if this album would feel kind of out of place as an Oils album, and and in some ways, perhaps it does. Maybe you were kind of influencing me coming into this thing. You know, this is whatever. But I didn't I didn't feel that it was out of place as an Oils album. But I, and I and I guess I don't really know why. I think it's a very well put together album as we've talked about earlier. Um, and it's more than just an enjoyable trip down memory lane for me, you know, cause, cause we have had these albums in our heads since we were teenagers. Like these yeah. were kind of like, this was the music. Midnight Oil was the music that I think we both this first really got into band, like a band. This was our band. Yeah. And so we listened to a lot of Midnight Oil in the mid to late eighties. Yeah. So it could be. Just a, an enjoyable trip down memory lane. Oh, it was fun to listen to that album. But as I said at the very beginning of the show, three weeks listening to this exclusively, didn't get bored of it at all. Yeah. Didn't want to skip through anything. I think it holds up really well. It's a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on in it. And even though it 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 isn't it doesn't sound as oily as later albums will 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 sound subjectively. Yeah. Really good album. Really enjoyed my three yeah, weeks I, with I that great Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, more so than I was expecting to. And yeah, to it's almost it. it's a surprising. Yeah. It's, it's surprisingly good. Yep. What are we listening to uh, the next couple of weeks, Robin? Well, we're going to be listening to their second album, mm-hmm. Head Injuries. Head Injuries, which I think attempted to address some of the. Uh, criticisms about the first album. Excellent. Well, we'll let our listeners listen to the album and uh, we'll take take a crack at that next. Yep. Right now, it's time to retract the stylus, to slide the vinyl back into its sleeve and to say good night until next time when we will be listening to Midnight Oil's second album, 1979's Head Injuries. Head Injuries. On comfortable place on the couch the midnight oil podcast remember you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you find good podcasts the itunes store the google play place and you can get in touch with us too 
You'll find us on the Twitter at Darren the Folds. And there is a U in Folds. Yeah, and myself, Robin Harperin. Show notes will be available online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. We will be back in a couple weeks with head injuries. So for Robin Harperin, I'm Darren Folds. Have a pleasant good night. Good evening.